Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au. Let's pray. Jesus, you are so good and so kind and so loving. You are fun. Uh, and we love to be with you. We love to get into your presence. We love to draw close to you, knowing your promise is that you will draw close to us. Thank you for what you are doing. Thank you for what you are about to do. Uh, and I just bless these people that have gathered here today to worship and praise you, that we would not only know more about you, but we would know m- more of you. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles there, uh, open up to... 2nd Kings chapter 4. Uh, if you are of the smartphone variety, uh, you can open up the U version app, the Bible app, uh, and find our live event there. And these scriptures, only a couple of scriptures for today, will be in the live event. You can also make your own notes uh, through that app. I do encourage you, uh, if you're not a note taker, it's a good idea to take notes because believe it or not, you'll forget what I said. Uh, And it's a good idea to go back and reflect on the different things that have been shared um, that you hear um, and just reflect on what God actually says says to you through this process. So we're doing this series, uh, The Gift of Relationships. Uh, This is week three. Um, And so so I'm going to kick this off with greet one another. And it sounds like a kind of a simplistic kind of idea that we would actually be courageous enough, loving enough, bold enough to greet one another, not just here on a Sunday morning, but in the day-to-day of our lives. And Simon shared some of his stories, how he greets people and he gets to know people. Um, And some of the the tips that he uses just to remember people's names. If you're not so good at remembering people's names, just repeat it as much as you can in the opening conversation. Just if I was meeting Narelle for the first time, I'd say, hi Narelle, how are you Narelle? It's good to meet you Narelle. Maybe not quite like that, but just say the name over again so it gets into your head and that's a good way to remember people's names. Or, like I do sometimes, you just forget people's names. Just be honest and say, I'm, I'm so sorry, I've forgotten your name. What is it? Or just guess. <laughs> just guess. Like, Barry, how are you? It's uh, Jim. Jim, still good to see you, mate. Um, I used to, this is, this is not good, I used to just use, I still use dude, or mate a lot, but I used to use it because I just forgot people's names. That's bad. Don't do that, all right? And if I call you dude or mate, it isn't because I've forgotten your name. I should just... <laughs> just giving away my secrets, sorry. But actually, in greeting one another uh, and introducing yourself to somebody, introducing one another, we actually build community. We build relationship, we build connection, we build belonging. Uh, and this is where people begin to feel safe, this is where people begin to feel wanted, they begin to feel known and connected, and it's in community that we actually uh, feel loved and appreciated and accepted, and this is actually a part of being human. We're actually made for connection, we're actually made to be known. In the Garden of Eden, there was God, there was Adam, and God in his infinite wisdom said, it is not good for man to be alone. Wait a sec. He's got the Lord that walks in the cool in the garden in the cool of the evening. Is that enough? No, no. The Lord saw that humans, man, needed company, human company. So he made a human, another human. And so now there's all of us keeping each other company, knowing each other, getting to know each other, 
going deep in relationship with one another. Uh, and today we move on in this series and we look at follow up. Second Kings uh, chapter 4, I don't know if you know this story about Elisha who was the uh, protege if you will, uh, mentored by the great prophet Elijah, gets confusing but Elisha um, and he is having uh, this encounter with a woman that lives in Shunem. Um, I won't read all of the story, but the idea is that Elisha visits this city on a regular basis and he gets to know a lady that lives there, a well-to-do woman, the scripture says, um, and she uh, is so taken with Elisha, she's married, but they don't have any kids, so she's so taken with this man of God that she says to her husband, let's build a room for him on our roof, not uncommon, they had flat roofs, let's build a room for him so that when he visits, he's got somewhere to stay. And so they build this room and Elisha keeps coming and visiting. Uh, I'm in 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 11. One day when Elisha came, he went up to his room and lay down there. He said to his servant Gehazi, call the Shunammite. So he called her and she stood before him. Elisha said to him, tell her, you've gone to all this trouble for us. Now what can be done for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? And she replied, I have a home among my own people. What can be done for her? Elisha asked. Gehazi said, well, she has no son and her husband is old. What a great commentary on your family. She has no son and her husband is old. Then Elisha said, call her. So he called her and she stood in the doorway. About this time next year, Elisha said, you will hold a son in your arms. No, my Lord, she objected. Don't mislead your servant, O man of God. But the woman became pregnant, and the next year about that time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elisha had told her. Now the, the child grew on, and one day he went out to his father, who was with the reapers. My head, my head, he said to his father. His father told a servant, carry him to his mother. After the servant had lifted him up and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon, and then he died. She went up and laid him on the bed, and the man of on the bed of the man of God, then shut the door and went out. Have, have you read this story before? It blows my mind every time I read it. Like there's so much happening here about the relationship between Elisha and the woman, the woman and her faith, the woman and her husband. Um, it just kind of overwhelms me every time I read it. She called her husband and said, please send me one of the servants and a donkey so I can go to the man of God quickly and return. Why go to him today, he asked. It's not the new moon or the Sabbath. It's all right, she said. It's all right. She saddled the donkey and said to her servant, lead on, don't slow down for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When he saw her in the distance, the man of God said to his servant Gehazi, uh, look, there's the Shunammite, run to meet her and ask her, are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your child all right? Everything is all right, she said. It reminds me a bit, uh, if you ask somebody how they're going, and they say, fine. If you ever ask somebody, I'm fine. Husbands, have you asked your wives, how are you? And they reply, I'm fine. No, nobody's ever done that? You've not had the response, I'm fine? Oh, because you know they are not fine. You know, nothing is fine when somebody says, I'm fine. 
That's the kind of sense I get from the Shunammite woman here. When she reached, verse 27, when she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet. Gehazi came over to push her away, but the man of God said, leave her alone. She is in bitter distress, but the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me why. I want to start there for a minute. So we already know. So here's the Shunammite woman. Husband kind of seems a little bit removed and a dead son that was promised to her by this man of God, this prophet, this well-known, well-to-do prophet. And she is in deep distress and she is masking it super well because her husband hasn't picked it up, Gehazi hasn't picked it up and now she is at the feet of Elisha the prophet in deep, bitter distress because she has lost his son. She'd given up all hope and now she'd had it and now he was gone. And so now she comes to Elisha and notice this that Elisha says, she's in bitter distress but the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me why. Now I believe Elisha, a great prophet of the Old Testament, I believe in prophecy and prophets and prophetic words being given today, I believe in hearing from God um, and sharing his word with other people. But I want you to notice, here is an incredible prophet who received a double anointing, a double portion from Elijah when Elijah was taken up to heaven. So he is operating under an incredible anointing from God himself. Yet he knew that something had been kept from him that he couldn't see completely what was happening for the Shunammite women. Does that make sense? Are you with me so far? So she's in deep distress, but the great prophet of God could not see it because it was kept from him. There's some things that we can only know about each other through direct contact with one another, through going deep with one another, through journeying with each other, through sitting at the feet of one another and getting to know each other. See, sometimes we can be guilty of, oh, I'm just waiting to hear from God, or no, God hasn't prompted me, or I haven't heard from God on that. No, maybe you haven't because you actually need to get in community and connection with somebody else to find out what their heart is. Because God isn't stupid. He doesn't keep secrets from us just for no reason or to tease us or to make us go alone or to make us think that he doesn't care. No, he keeps things from us because he wants us to discover them for ourselves. Because if Elijah, Elisha had have known from God what had happened, it may have changed how he responded, yet he saw the desperation of this woman coming to him and he responded accordingly. He knew that the Lord had hidden from him. Verse 28, did I ask you for a son, my Lord, she said, didn't I tell you, don't raise my hopes. Elisha said to Gehazi, tuck your cloak into your belt, take my staff in your hand and run. If you meet anyone, do not greet him and if anyone greets you, do not answer. Lay my staff on the boy's face. But the child's mother said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So he got up and followed her. So this is like a 20 to 25 kilometer journey from Mount Carmel to uh, Shunem, where the woman lived. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the boy's face, but there was no sound or response. So Gehazi went back to meet Elijah and told him the boy was not awakened. One of the things that's really easy to do in today's world, and it happens because we have fundraisers on TV, we do fundraisers here, it's, it can be easy, I'll say easy, easy to send 
money to help a situation to help people. It can be easy to send stuff. It can be really easy just to send somebody else to do something on our behalf. And sometimes that's necessary. Right? There's a crisis overseas. We can't all go. We make a donation. We pray into it. We do what we can from our standpoint. We raise people to serve uh, as ministers of the gospel uh, in overseas lands, in communities that we can't be a part of. We raise them, bless them and send them out because we can't all go. That doesn't work in every situation. There are times when we can't send something else or someone else because we need to go ourselves. Elisha, the great prophet, sends Gehazi and sends his staff. It doesn't work because it doesn't have the anointing of Elisha on it. Uh, Gehazi went back to meet Elisha and told him, the boy is not awakened. When Elisha reached the house, there was the boy lying dead on his couch. He went in, shut the door on the two of them and prayed to the Lord. And then he got on the bed and lay upon the boy mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. As he stretched himself out upon him, the boy's body grew warm. Elisha turned away and walked back and forth in the room and then got on the bed and stretched out upon him once more. And the boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. I love that bit. I don't know why, just the boy sneezed seven times. Elisha summoned Gehazi and said, Call the Shunammite. And he did. When she came, she, he said, Take your son. She came in, fell at his feet and bowed, bowed to the ground. And then she took her son and went out. This is an incredibly powerful story of what it is to actually be connected with one another. And as I read this, I was just, it just struck out to me, stuck out to me, that life for us as followers of Jesus is not meant to be aloof. It's not meant to be distant. It's not meant to be disconnected. We're actually meant to be face-to-face, skin-on-skin. In today's world, it's super easy that I can, just, I can pick this up and I can message somebody or I can call somebody. I can FaceTime. That's fantastic. It's, you know, we can hear from Simon while he's hours away from us. I love that. But this is no replacement from actually getting face-to-face, like skin-on-skin, in an appropriate way. May I point that out? Mouth-to-mouth, eyes-to-eyes, hands-to-hands isn't appropriate in every situation. Just want to make that clear before somebody calls me out. But actually getting up close and personal, where you are eye-to-eye with somebody, that you can get to know them, that you can speak life into them, that you can restore hope into them, and that you can be a part of their journey and their family, this is what God actually calls us to. Elisha could have stayed on Mount Carmel and said, Lady, I'm busy doing the work of the Lord. I got you, your son, my work is done. No, he went with her. He tried a couple of other things that did not work. The only thing that worked was for Elisha, the great man of God, to get skin on skin, face to face with the dead son and bring life back to him. Sometimes people around us are dying and we don't even know it because we're not close enough to see it. They might not be physically dying, they might not be on their deathbed per se, but they are dying on the inside because they run out of hope. They're disconnected from community. They lack connection. And so many people in our world are just waiting for someone to get face-to-face with them, someone who knows Jesus, who can speak hope and can speak life. And we're it. That's us. 
we get that privilege and that responsibility to actually get up close and personal with people that we can speak life and hope with people. Matthew chapter 18, we're going to the New Testament. Matthew chapter 18. This is uh, really kind of challenging passage. Uh, most of us would have read this at one time or another. Uh, I'm not sure that we're always really good at walking it out. I know that I haven't been. So here's Jesus teaching his disciples about what, um, what relationship looks like, what life as disciples of Jesus Christ looks like. Uh, and he gives some challenging instructions for his disciples and for us today. If your brother or your sister sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listen, uh, Verse 15, sorry, chapter 8 and verse 15. Uh, just between the two of you, if he listens to you, you've won your brother over or you've won a brother. If he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Wow. All right, so hand, uh, show of hands, how many have read this passage? How many have known this passage? How many have not followed this? I'm not saying that to shame you, like I'm in the same boat. There are times I do not uh, go and reveal the sin that my brother or sister has. Some translations, depending on your translation, it won't even have in verse 15 against you. It will just say, if your brother sins. So depending on which text you're reading, just Jesus is saying, if your brother sins, even if it's not against you, if your brother sins, go to them one-on-one. And reveal it to them, speak to them about it. But as followers of Jesus, this is not the approach that we take, unfortunately. This is our mandate, but sometimes we're like, oh, I'm going to share it with my life group first. I'm going to talk to my family. But we're not even just talking. The issue comes when we're actually just complaining about somebody else. Well, this person really upset me. This person didn't like my hair. This person was rude to me. This person didn't say hello to me. This person did say hello to me, but they said it the wrong way. This person treated me like this. This person didn't treat me like that. And we spend all our time actually complaining about it, dragging these people down, not only in our views, but also in the views of those other people that we're complaining to. And we don't actually go and address it with our brother or sister. Can you see how poisonous that is? And when Jesus actually says, if your brother sins against you or sins at all, go and show him or her their fault, just between the two of you, he does that for good reason. Because in between the two people, the one that has done wrong and the one that has been wronged, you can mend that. Forgiveness can be given. Reconciliation can be made. You can re-establish the relationship and move on. You can continue to do life on life. If I have a problem with Gary, where's Gary? Gary's a nice man. I'll use Gary as an example. Uh, thank you for your communion talk, Gary. Loved it, man. If I have a problem with Gary, I go home 
and I complain about Gary around my dinner table, who now has a warped perspective of what Gary's like? Not just me, now my wife and my four children. And my family learned from me as the head of the home, oh, when somebody does wrong against me, I just complain about it. I just drag them down. Now, hear me, we can get wise counsel. And if it's a dangerous or an abusive situation, seriously, get help. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying put yourself at risk, not at all. Now, if I need some clarity on a situation because somebody has wronged me, more and more I will go to the person and say, like, this is how I received it, this is what I heard you say, this is what I saw, this is what it felt like when you did that. Is that right? Now, sometimes it's just my perspective that's a little bit off. Believe it or not, I get it wrong. And so when I actually go to Gary and I say, Gary, this is what you said and this is what I thought, in that moment, Gary can actually say, oh, that's not what I meant or that's not what I said. And we can actually restore the relationship right there and then. However, if Gary did actually offend me or sin against me, we can make it right in the moment. And we are restored in each other's eyes and my family hasn't even been brought into it. Does that make sense? But it is super easy and we're guilty of it that we don't actually address somebody who has wronged us, somebody who has sinned against us. Instead, we go and pray about it with other people. Man, and like, I won't even get into what gossip is and, and what gossip looks like. But if you're going to your life group, if you're going to your family, if you're going to your workplace, if you're going to any of these other places and complaining about somebody who has upset you, who has wronged you, who you think has done wrong by you, stop it. If somebody has upset you that much, if somebody has offended you, if somebody has sinned against you, go to that person. Now Jesus goes on and says, uh, if they don't listen, then take witnesses. Don't take somebody who's going to take sides. Do, do you notice that Jesus doesn't actually say, don't choose a winner. Don't find out who's right. Jesus says, if somebody sins against you, show him his fault. Just between the two of you. If you will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Because our perspectives do get a little bit warped. Sometimes we're a bit out of whack, sometimes we're emotional, sometimes we're having a bad day, a bad year, whatever it might be. Sometimes we haven't had our morning coffee, whatever it might be. And we're like, oh, this person hasn't listened. Okay, I'm going to get two other people that I know and trust, not just to take sides, but there can be witnesses between me and my brother. And notice, too, that Jesus doesn't actually break the relationship because Jesus continues to talk about the brother amongst us. The word that in, in uh, Greek that's used in the New Testament is adelphos. That's why it's translated for some of us as brother. But it can mean brother or sister. It's this um, brotherly connection, sibling connection that we have. For, for Jesus, it's paramount that the relationship isn't fractured, that you restore the relationship between the two of you as quickly as possible. Now, if the person doesn't respond one-on-one, -on -one, the person doesn't respond to you and a couple of witnesses, 
Jesus says, then take it to the church. Who wants it to get to that level? Can you imagine if we get to that kind of level of, um, I've forgotten, mediation? Where Gary doesn't listen to me, so I take Steve and Beck and we go to Gary and we say, this is the issue, and then Gary still doesn't listen to me. Then we come before the church and say, all right, well, here is what's happened. This is Gary's sin against me. Can you imagine our worship services if we started going, how, going through how we've sinned against one another? Any volunteers? No. But the simplest fix is that we go one-on-one. We do life-on-life, face-to-face. We restore life and speak life and hope and connection. Do you see that? Do you see that Jesus doesn't put weights on us just to make life difficult or he's like trying to push our buttons? He's like... This is actually how it's set up that you restore connection with one another. And it's quite possible that you will sin against one another and when you do, here's the process. Um, I want to highlight in verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. Wow. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now for a long time, this has been translated pagan, tax collector, evil, Kick them out. How did Jesus treat the pagans and the tax collectors? Hey? He ate with them. He fellowshiped with them. He spent time with them. He got to know them. He extended them love, grace and mercy. They might not have had full relationship with him like his disciples did, but Jesus did not remove them from his love. We don't treat pagans and tax collectors whatever the modern day equivalent might be, by kicking them out. We actually draw them close in fellowship and seek to restore the relationship as if it was new. That blows my mind. But do you see all the steps that we go through in following up with one another, that if somebody sins against us, that we're actually, our goal through all of it is to actually restore the connection, to restore the relationship. And it might feel like hard work and that might be a slow process, that might be a quick process, depends on the people involved. But here Jesus is so concerned with our connection with each other as followers of him that he gives us a process and a mandate for working things out when somebody sins against us. Turn it around. Who have you sinned against that you actually need to restore the connection with? That would be just as powerful. I want to look at the, the uh, context that's happening here. Um, Jesus, this, whole com- this all comes as a conversation that Jesus is having uh, with his disciples. In verse, uh, verse 10, he uh, says to the disciples, See that you don't look down on one of these little ones, for I tell you that there are angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. I love that. Don't look down on these little ones. Verses 12 to 14, uh, when the story of the 99 sheep and Jesus says, your father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones be lost. And then after the conversation about if your brother or sister sins against you, Jesus says a powerful phrase, I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. 
what we do on earth in our relationships, remember the context, this is actually about restoring relationships and connection, actually holds sway in heaven. I'm still trying to get my head around that. And you read commentaries and everyone's got their own particular idea, but I'm asking the Lord, can you reveal the deeper truth behind what you're saying there? That what we actually do between one another in our relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ has an impact in heaven. And we actually partner with heaven to bind in heaven, bind on earth what has been bound in heaven and, what, and bind and loose on earth what is loosed in heaven. Uh, and then verse 19, if two of this, this, let me read this to you. Verse 19, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. What? Two. Agreeing for anything we ask for. Jesus is just saying, if you can get two people to agree on anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. Do you, do you, do you feel the weight of what Jesus is imparting to us in this moment? That our relationship with one another, our connection with each other can be so deep and so profound that where two of us, two, agree in his name, then the Father in heaven will actually move on it. Your minds appear blown. I'm, yeah. So rich is the connection that we have one another. So much does it model how Jesus loves us that it is that important to Jesus. Because Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. So the relationship that we have with each other is actually meant to model the love that Jesus has for us. That's profound. This is actually our calling as followers of Jesus. I was thinking about the phrase follow up uh, and broke it down like this. The follow could be considered our sideways connections with one another. That I pursue connection with you because I love you. I pursue connection with you because I love you. Not to get something, not necessarily to give something, but because I love you. And I'll let that be the guiding force in our relationship. Now, the up part is that I build relationship with you, modelling the kingdom of heaven, fulfilling God's will and design. As I have loved you, love one another. This is the mandate that we have as followers of Jesus Christ, as brothers and sisters in Christ. We are co-heirs with Christ. It's him that binds us together, that unites us with one another. And so Jesus makes it pretty simple and clear in a lot of ways. That our goal is connection and relationship with one another. That is, we follow up with one another, we connect with one another, we seek each other out, we get to know each other at a deeper level, face to face, skin on skin. That we're actually representing Jesus here on earth in a powerful way that actually shifts what's happening on earth and reflects heaven, that reflects God's will and his design for us.
His desire is that no one should perish. His desire is that nobody should be outside of his family. We can choose to be outside of it, but as brothers and sisters, we're in the business of inviting people to belong to this family. That's an awesome privilege that we get to have, that we, that we carry, that we release here as the Horsham Church of Christ. God only operates from relationship. His goal is family. I've heard someone say that uh, family is the government of heaven. If you think about it, all through Scripture, God talks about sons and daughters, being a father, being a husband to the nation of Israel. He sends his one and only son. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are sons and daughters. We are adopted. We are no longer orphans. It's all about family and connection with God and that nobody should be outside that connection. We actually have the power to restore those relationships that are fractured. If we'll actually take a courageous step and seek out our brothers and sisters that have sinned and restore that connection, if we'll take the time not to send somebody else or something else, but to actually go ourselves and meet with each other and to speak life and to speak hope, not to speak words of death or discouragement, but to speak encouragement to one another. What would it look like if we went to our homes and our life groups and our businesses and rather than complaining about people that have wronged us or upset us or what didn't work, what did work, what didn't work, things that didn't go right, but we actually spoke about how we resolve those situations or how we were going to resolve those situations. If we can't do it in the moment that we plan to go and make connection with the person that's wronged us, that we're intentional about following up each other, building connection, getting to know each other. This is what the world is crying out for. Narelle spoke in called worship this morning about people here that are almost out of hope. I really sense that. There's people that are just on the verge of, I give up. Some of us have given up. And we're just (laughs) dying to know more of God in our lives. And sometimes it's not going to be a move of God. It's going to be God moving through one of us that will actually restore the hope and the connection and the love of Jesus Christ in people's lives. Will you stand with me? Jesus, we thank you for we thank you that you are good all the time and your love endures forever. We thank you for your life and the example that you set for us, but also the way your death and your resurrection that empower us to live as you lived. Forgive us, God, when we've complicated it, we've made it more difficult than it needs to be. Forgive us for the times that we've complained rather than to make things right. Forgive us for the relationships that we've left fractured and broken because uh, maybe we just didn't know how to take the next step. God, I pray that in the days and weeks ahead that relationships would be restored, that brothers and sisters would be reunited in your name, that the dead would come to life, that people would be filled with hope once again. 
God, I want to celebrate relationships that are healthy. Let us celebrate all the things. Man, I can know that I can get down on it sometimes. Let's celebrate all that you are doing in us as your community and all that we're doing to seek connection with each other, the relationships that we do have, the love that is shown, the welcome that we extend, the follow-up that is taking place. We thank you, Lord, for your presence and what you're doing in this place. Pray that you continue to minister to each and every one of us. Amen.